But I thought today I want to talk about a topic that you can benefit from immediately and now in your life. These are the topics we really want. We want to talk about how to live our life in Islam. We want to talk about practical things that are happening around us. So I chose the topic, balancing between deen and dunya. Balancing between deen and dunya. Deen is the religion, our way of life, the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And dunya is the worldly life, our jobs, our work, our family, our education, our hobbies, our sports, our money, our interests, all of that is part of the dunya. And I've seen a quote a few times, and you probably are familiar with it. Some people write a quote or they have it on their t-shirts. It says, Deen over dunya. Deen over dunya. Have you seen that quote before? Deen over dunya. A lot of young people love that quote. It's a very nice quote, and of course, Deen is over dunya. Allah's pleasure is over the pleasure of this world. But I want to be careful that you don't misunderstand that and it leads you into an extreme which becomes neither deen nor dunya. What does deen over dunya mean? I would rather say this, and this is more correct to the Quran and Sunnah. Make your dunya part of your deen. Make your dunya part of your deen. Turn work into worship. Who said that deen, religion, has got nothing to do with dunya? And how is that deen becomes over dunya, except in one way? The only way deen becomes over, the dunya, sorry, becomes over deen, the world becomes over the deen, is when I abandon the Quran and Sunnah, when I abandon my religious guidance and commands by Allah, and I prioritize my worldly gain and earn my wealth in haram, spend it in haram, use my free time in haram, my com the commandments and obligations of my religion are neglected and cancelled for the purpose of gaining something from this world. No. Or I turn my actions into showing off. My prayers become showing off, my Qur'an becomes showing off, my work becomes showing off. All of that becomes putting the world over my deen. But brothers and sisters, it's very simple. Deen means way of life. The word religion is something that was introduced into the language, English language, later on. In Islam, there's no such thing really as religion, if you want to get technical. We just say religion for the sake of it, because you have to explain it. But deen means way of life. Deen means way of life. And that shows us that Islam is not separate. Our deen, our way of life, is not separate from our normal life. That is why some people term Islam as the religion uh, um, the natural religion. In the Sharia, we call it Deenul Fitra, the way of life of our natural human way. A lot of people don't, don't know this, especially people who don't understand Islam. They compare it 
to all the other religions of the world. Whereas Islam is so different to all the other religions of the world when it comes to how we practice it in our life. Our deen is not separate from our life. Look at the Qur'an, for example. Everything in the Qur'an that is mentioned is about all the aspects of our life. Am I right or wrong? In the Qur'an, you find that... SubhanAllah, I even wrote them down because it's so good. The Qur'an talks about every day-to-day aspects of life. Family. Business. Dealing with money. Property. Investments. Rights of inheritance. Food. Social interactions. Health and well-being. Sports. Transportation. Health. Uh, management. Organization. Dressing. Sleeping. Hygiene. Cosmetics. Looking nice. Smelling nice. Innovations. Coming up with new ideas in life. Inventions. Building and benefiting the society and the community. Building. Buildings. To benefit the people. And yourselves. And even pets. Talks about the rights of pets and how to deal with pets. And entertainment. How to have entertainment in life. It talks about values. Borrowing. Lending. Entering into contracts. Promising. Rights of legal proceedings against someone who has taken your right. The Quran talks about that. When, and the classical example is in the story of Dawood When two men came in, each one was complaining about the other. They were seeking litigation. The Qur'an talks about how to get your right back. It talks about consumer rights, people who buy from you. The seller's rights. Employment rights, if you employ someone to work for you. The, the employer's rights. It talks about visiting. It talks about hospitality. It talks about etiquettes of uh, greeting, treatment of guests, hunting, fishing, sports, recreation, even the etiquettes of how to go to the bathroom and bathe yourself. Everything. Now, when you hear, and I have a, this is just, I'm just mentioning some, there are many things. It talks about the art of war, the art of conflict, the art of differences of opinions. Not only pure worship that we are ritually used to, not just how to pray. Not just how to fast, not just how to do the hajj and pilgrimage, not just about hijab, for example. It's not just about how to read the Qur'an or sadaqah. No, this is one part. But if when you recite the Qur'an, almost every page has something to do with an aspect of our normal day-to-day life. Halal, haram things. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to entertain yourself or enjoy life. The Qur'an says, for example, قُلْ مَنْ حَرَّمَ زِينَةَ اللَّهِ لِعِبَادِهِ وَالطَّيِّبَاتِ مِنَ الرِّزْقِ Say, O Muhammad, say, sallallahu Who? Who ever said that enjoying life and enjoying the beauties of life is forbidden? And enjoying the fruits, and enjoying the luxuries, enjoying good taste. No one forbidden, Allah says. He says, Say, for those who believe in God, you know, those who want to be religious, those who want to follow the deen, because the people who follow the deen throughout history, through religion, even before Muhammad, we hear about people who turn into monks, 
People who turn into, they isolate themselves from the world completely. So the people who follow religion throughout history have always been known of the people who try to run away from the luxuries and you know, enjoyments and joy of life. And Allah says, you who do that, you people who seek God's pleasure, you people who love to go to paradise and want to get religious, say, it is all yours. This life is not forbidden from you. You can take from it, you can eat from it, you can enjoy it like everyone else. And on the day of judgment, if you fear that because you took some from here, you're not going to get it in the hereafter, you're going to lose out on the hereafter, because some people, they assume that if they have nice food here, they're not going to have nice food in the hereafter. Some people think if they wear nice clothes here, they're not going to wear nice clothes here. If they drive a nice car, they're not going to have a nice whatever it is in Jannah. Some people even went to the point, Wallahi, I kid you not. Some people, even I heard this from them directly, saying, if he chooses, there's these two women he wanted to marry. One of them is prettier than the other. He said, if I choose the prettier one, Allah may deny me a pretty woman in paradise. So I'll choose the one that doesn't attract me much. I said, subhanAllah, that's not, not necessarily. And anyway, beauty and prettiness is in, in your own eyes. Some people look at beauty in different ways. I'm not inviting people to look at cosmetics, brothers and sisters. But what I'm trying to say is that some people go to that extreme. They think they're not allowed to enjoy beauties of this life. Because they might lose it in the hereafter. And that's why Allah says, On the day of judgment, you will still have your full rewards completely. I'm not going to take away stuff just because you enjoyed my blessings, Allah is saying. I'm just interpreting yani, what Allah is saying to us. So brothers and sisters, it's very clear. What Allah did forbid is to use what Allah has given you in things which He has forbidden. In things that harm you, in things that harm others, in things, and not to indulge too much, not to indulge too much in things in extreme, not to do things too much. Everything has a limit. So, for example, in the Quran, Allah hates two types of dealings with your wealth, for example, with your wealth and with your time and with your skills, with your energy, with your body. All these are called resources. Allah hates two types of people who use their resources in two ways. Number one, in something called Israf. And number two, something called Tabdir. Allah says in the Quran, Wallahu la yuhibbul musrifeen. Allah does not like the ones who do Israf. And Allah says, the ones who do tabdhir are the brothers and sisters of the devils and demons, meaning they're, they're wicked. What is israf? What is tabdhir? Israf is when you spend your money on things that are allowed and permissible, but you overspend beyond your means. You know what that means, beyond your means? It means that your family, for example, has a right to your wealth. If you're a husband, a father, you have the duty in Islam to spend on your family and your children. It's not your wife's duty or your mother's, for example, or your sister's. In that wealth, you have to manage that a portion of it goes to the people Allah has made you, in charge, made you responsible for in caring and protecting. And then you have a right to that wealth for yourself for your own needs in life. 
And then you have a right for that wealth to give in sadaqah, in charity, outside of your family and your wealth. Which, by the way, spending on your family and yourself is a form of sadaqah. Did you know that? If your intention is there. And you can invest with it. And you can build with it. And whatever extra you can use it for entertainment and enjoyment. But if you spend too much, for example, on yourself to the point when you know your wealth, you're going to take away from spending on your family's needs, then this is called israf. If you spend on your uh, investments, for example, to the point where your family is not going to have a place to live in, then this is israf. So this shows you that everyone, according to their wealth and how much they have, it's relevant. Some people are millionaires and they can spend more. Some people are like you and me, just normal. They can spend, they can't spend as much as a millionaire. We don't say the millionaire because he or she spent a lot, they're doing israf. Because they are not neglecting the rights of their duties. They're balancing, they're managing their wealth. Unless they become like some people who don't know how to manage money and they just spend it on everything and anything as an addiction, this is called israf. So to spend beyond your means in a way that those who are entitled to a portion of your wealth or your resources start to miss out. You've got to balance it. And that's called money management. If I were to go back to my younger self, wallahi, I would get into some course or get someone to train me how to manage my money, how to manage my resources and how to invest. This is a skill that every Muslim should learn. Because throughout the Qur'an, it talks about money and management. Wealth is a trust, for example, and a blessing. Did you know there's one page, one whole page, from top to bottom, 14 lines, that is only one ayah, one verse. One verse in the Qur'an, that's a one page. Have you seen that verse? In Surah Al-Baqarah. It's in the last few pages before the end of Surah Al-Baqarah. One whole ayah, from top to bottom, you know what it talks about? All about money and resources. How to manage your wealth. In that page, it talks about borrowing and lending, entering into contracts, and that if you borrow or you lend someone, you must write it down and get two witnesses to witness to this deal. Which tells us that the Qur'an tells us to deal with money. Borrow and lend, not a problem. But do it in the way that is right. What is right? according to what Allah said is right. Then there is the second word, which I told you, it's called tabdhir. Tabdhir is a bit different to israf, overspending beyond your means. Tabdhir is to spend within your means, but on forbidden things. Things that Allah has forbidden, such as to spend my money on alcohol, to drink, on wine to drink, on haram foods, on haram things and items and services, doing, spending our wealth and our resources on clearly forbidden things, clearly forbidden things is called tabdhir. Now you understand the difference between the two terms and both of them means wasting in English. So don't waste your wealth and resources. Other than that, my brothers and sisters, anything, everything you do in life is not separate from your religion, from your deen. So turn your dunya into deen. I think I've said this little 
incident that happened with me. It's a bit of a funny incident. I think you've heard it before. I'll say it again for those who didn't know. So one day I was here in the masjid, back in the days when I was about 20, 21, 22, and I used to import vehicles from overseas to bring them here and sell them. And I wanted to get married, so my intention was Iffa in Arabic means to uh, guard myself and get married. The intention was with, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because I like to get married to keep me away from haram. To do that, I need to be independent. To do that, I need to have an income. To do that, I need to be able to support a family. Isn't that right? Yes or no? I was at uni that time. By the time I finish uni, it's going to be a long time. So I had to hustle, do some side hustling. And that is to buy and sell, which is good. But look at the intention. So long as it was a halal job, I looked at all the income and everything, and my business deals were good. I asked uh, my colleagues, I had studied uh, Sharia at Lebanon, and looked at it and said, okay, this, this is good business dealings, halal. So one day I came to the masjid here, I was praying dhuhr, uh, and I parked one of the cars outside, had some shiny wheels, shiny rims. I had put it for sale. As I'm walking out, I see a young brother who understands, who had misunderstood the meaning of deen and dunya and could not separate the two. He thought it's either that or it's that. You can't have both. <laughs> May Allah reward him. He's changed and subhanAllah we became very good friends. And as I'm walking out, I'm walking towards my car, I hear him from the back. He goes like this. Dunya, dunya. Sarcastically telling me, you're following the dunya, that's all you're doing, buddy. I feel sorry for you. That was the tone. And I was caught on you know, by surprise. So I turned to him and I thought that I can get out of it by expl rationally explaining to him, Wallahi, I put it to sell it. And I was going to explain more, but he didn't let me finish. I said, Wallahi, I put it to sell it. He goes, More dunya. You ain't gonna say, dunya's entered your heart. I just said, khalas, I'm doomed if I go by what he says. The point is, brothers and sisters, we, we need to learn how to put the knowledge of the Qur'an and Sunnah into context. What does it mean that I live my life according to the deen? And I don't have to separate my deen and dunya. If I separate the deen and dunya, guess what's gonna happen? Majority of people who follow Islam will lose out because everybody's going to think the only way to enter paradise is by coming to the mosque. The only way to go to paradise is by memorizing the Quran. The only way to go to paradise is you've got to learn Arabic. The only way to go to paradise is you've got to learn all the du'as, all the dhikr. You have to go to hajj. You have to give sadaqah. That's it. You know what amazes me is that sometimes when we do a charity event and all the Muslims come along, can you imagine me on the khutbah on Jumu'ah here? You've come to me on Jumu'ah. And in my khutbah I say to you, brothers and sisters, stay away from dunya. Dunya is going to kill you. Dunya is going to ruin your heart. Don't make much money. Just live according to the means. Look at the sahabas. Look at the companions. Look at that. Now the dunya is not out of your heart. You've got to live according to your means. One week later, I've got a charity event. Come brothers, we've got a charity event. We're going to help the orphans. We're going to build the masjids. You come along. How much are you going to donate? Each one's going to donate 20 cents, 50 cents. And you're going to look at these brothers. They're not generous. 
Dunya, brothers, the dunya shouldn't stay in your heart. I just told you don't go after the dunya. And now I want your money to build a mosque and look after the orphans. How does that work? Of course, the sheikhs don't do that. But some people misunderstand this. A mu'min, a believer, should have resources. But how do you apply those resources? Strength, resources is power. Rasul did say, المؤمن القوي خير من المؤمن الضعيف وفي كل خير. A, a capable and strong believer is more beneficial than an incapable and weaker believer, yet both of them have goodness in them. The strong believer has two meanings. They're the ones who are strong in their faith, meaning God comes first for them. And it means they have resources to help the community and their society and themselves. They're not dependent on the welfare system. They're not dependent on the community. They're not dependent on people looking after them. They look after others. They are more beneficial. As for the weak believer, the weak believer can be a little bit weaker in his iman or her iman. That's a given. They can be weak. But what... And Allah knows best what the real meaning here is, according to some of the scholars, is that their resources are weaker. They're not able to help other people much. And that is the closer meaning. And both of them are correct meanings anyway. So a believer who can benefit. And adding to this is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, uh, The best of people, or the most beneficial of people, are the ones who can benefit other people. What use... A high-value man is somebody who can also be useful. Or a high-value woman can be... a Number one for me is being useful. What's the point of you being useless? You can't stay in a marriage. You can't stay in a relationship. You can't hold a job. Nobody wants to hire you. You can't even open your own business. The customers say it is useless. Can't even help yourself. Your mother has to do your bed. Someone has to still tie your shoelace. For example, I'm just being a bit extreme here. Always running around for others to give you and feed you. Subhanallah. That is not what a believer should be. So, brothers and sisters, balancing your deen and dunya, number one is to understand that turning everything in life into what pleases Allah or doing it in the correct way that Allah has shown us becomes worship. And now, by this first principle, now every single one of us here has, alhamdulillah, a value. No matter what your skills are, no matter what you're best at or what you're weak at, now every single one of you has an opportunity to benefit and to rise and to worship. Some people are better at khutbas, some people are better at salat, some people are better at Qur'an, some people are better at da'wah. Others are better at inventing, others are better at business, others are better at relationships. Every Muslim now has a place where they can worship Allah by turning work into worship. I just told you. Isn't that correct? Listen to this beautiful hadith to emphasize this. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said, hadith is in Sahih Muslim. He said, uh, once, well, the hadith goes like this. Once 
the companions were sitting with the Prophet And a man came past. Listen carefully. A man came past. He was dusty. His hair was a little bit out of shape. He was sweaty. And he was rushing. Got no time to sit and socialize. Obviously, it was in the middle of the day. And what was he doing? He was rushing to something. Going and coming. So the companions, who are still learning about the deen, they said, wow, look at his zeal and his energy and his body, it's strong. If only he would do it, use it, use his resources, fi sabilillah, in the path of Allah. If only this man would use it in the path of Allah. What were they thinking? The path of Allah is something else. They were, not, they were thinking like that one. Deen over dunya. In the deen, not dunya. Obviously they assumed that he was going to work and earn some money. Or provide for himself or something. So they said, if only he did it. The Prophet peace be upon him turned to them and said, فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِنْ كَانَ خَرَجَ يَسْعَى عَلَى وَلَدِهِ صِغَارًا فَهُوَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ if this man had gone out of his home to seek in order to spend on the livelihood of young children that he's looking after, it is in the path of Allah. Then he said, وَإِن كَانَ خَرَجَ يَسْعَى عَلَىٰ أَبَوَيْنِ شَيْخَيْنِ كَبِيرَيْنِ فَهُوَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And if he was going out to seek his livelihood, to look after Two old parents, two senior parents who still are alive, that he wants to support, it is in the path of Allah. And if he had gone out to seek for his own benefit, for himself, for his own livelihood, so that he does not need others, so that he's independent. means to be independent. فَهُوَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ It is in the path of Allah. وَإِن كَانَ خَرَجَ يَسْعَى رِيَاءً However, if he had gone out seeking to show off so that people can praise him, so that people can point their finger and say, what a man, if that is his intention to show off and to look more important than others, and that is his intention, وَمُفَاخَرَةً And to have pride, not pride in himself, but pride as in to show as if he is more superior than other people. فَهُوَ فِي سَبِيلِ الشَّيْطَانِ Then that is in the path of the devil. Do you understand? What is the difference between the first intention and the second? Sorry, what is the difference between the first seeking and the second seeking? One is for Allah, the other is for the shaitan. The intention. As simple as flipping the intention. Do you see how easy it is? And it also teaches us not to judge others. Dunya, dunya, more dunya. Look at this person. Brothers and sisters, people don't care about what you say about your religion. People want to see how you practice it. If you honor your religion and you, all the stuff you're saying about it is so good, why are you not doing it? That means there must be something wrong with your conviction about your religion. That's how people think. If I was in their place, I'd think the same. 
Think about any follower of any, of any religion in the world. They come and make it big and beautiful and we've been for thousands of years. We're the largest community and, this, and our religion is the best and look at us and look at us and look at us. But when it comes to action and practice, you see the person lying, cheating, manipulating. They don't stick to their contract. They say, what kind of religion are you following? I don't care if it's true. If it was true, you would be different. Obviously, you even have doubts about your own religion because you would have, you would have been following it. That's, what really, that's a big area of da'wah, my dear brothers and sisters. So we can turn that into worship or we can turn it into haram. I'll give you another example. The other way around. I come to the masjid to pray. But what do I do? I run because I'm late. And when I run, this is what I do. I don't have time to put my shoes on the rack. I put them on the floor. That's number one. Sometimes my shoes are huge. Sometimes they're work boots. Sometimes they're big, massive... Uh, other, you know, sometimes they're like a big rock in front of you. Shoes everywhere. Then I rush in making noise. People are praying probably, and I'm making noise on the people who are praying. I'm distracting them. Then I come in, I bump into the person next to me, I distract him or her. Then for the whole first rak'ah, I'm trying to catch my breath. Where is the worship? I probably park my car in a place where I shouldn't be parking. And here, when the council puts, for example, do not park here, why do we go to conspiracy theories, my brothers and sisters? Why do we go and say it's because they don't like Muslims? Leave that aside. At the end of the day, there are people who are living there, for example. We used to have cars parking in elderly people's parking, man. To attend Jumu'ah, one hour. I remember once an elderly woman, the ambulance couldn't go into her driveway. Yani this, was, this was years back. So brothers and sisters, the essence of our salat and the essence of our deen the essence, the reason why I'm doing it is what we need to focus on. Brothers and sisters, some people, they have a problem in balancing halal and haram in their work. So I'm going to tell you something. Remember two things in your job. Two things, two principles. Work, your work is halal and in the path of Allah if you can manage two things. Number one, there is a benefit, nafa, to yourself or to the society and community. So it has to be a benefit. But a benefit that pleases Allah, not a benefit that displeases Allah. Number two, it has to be itqan. Itqan means to do what you said you're going to do. To do it to the fullest. Don't cut corners. Some people, they're working till four o'clock. They look at the time, boss is not there, got no job. See me walking out at 3 p.m. Why? I've just stolen money. Unless they allow me. I just stole one hour. I'm getting paid for that. What if a person comes up and says, you say, well, I'm, I'm just tired. I don't want to do this work. And they say, well, I'm not going to give you that extra $200 because I'm tired of giving it to you. You're not going to accept that. Brothers and sisters, Allah says it in the Quran. وَالْمُفُونَ بِعَهْدِهِمْ إِذَا عَهَدُ and those who fulfill their promises and contracts when they give those promises. That is deen, my brothers and sisters. Some people, they take a job and it becomes hard for them to do salat. And they take a job and the, 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 they're in need of the job. And sometimes their job requires that sometimes they will have to delay their salat. Sometimes their dhuhr has to be prayed at asr time, depending on your job. Now, the answer to that, brothers and sisters, is you've got to, first of all, and I'm almost done, you've got to look at 
your necessity situation. If it's your livelihood and how much you're in need of this job, then Islam gives you a way out, concessions. And more so, I'm not being uh, sexist here, more so for men, they have a greater need for a job in general, I'm talking about just generally speaking, not specifically, than women because Islam commands, makes the responsibility of the man to provide financially for their family. But it is not the responsibility of the woman. However, there are exceptions. Some families don't adhere to that and there are sisters who are in strife and their husbands or their fathers or their brothers or their culture or whatever it is puts the burden on them. This sister is rewarded double. However, I'm saying there are people in general. So men can probably have a bigger excuse of why they need to work. And if a sister has a need to work as well, when it comes, I'm not saying you can't work. I'm saying you need to work when, when you have to compromise some parts of your religion, such as your salat. Go to get a job and the boss says, I won't let you pray dhuhr. You look at if you are in need of this job, especially if you're working towards having an independent job, yani something big that's coming your way. The scholars have spoken about this. And they said, for example, in Salat, Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the hadith is in Sahih Muslim, Ibn Abbas who mentioned this. He says, Rasul sallallahu alayhi once prayed, and I prayed with him, Dhuhr and Asr together without a reason. And he prayed Maghrib and Isha without a reason, together. Only once. And the ulama said, why? He said, in order to give a leeway for the Muslims in times of hardship. So that's the reason. So in times of hardship means in your job. If every now and then you may not be able to pray your salat on time, you can join it with the next. But only Dhuhr and Asr, Maghrib and Isha. You can't join Asr with Maghrib. One brother called the Shaykh and he said, Ya, ya Shaykh, I can't even pray the Asr. So I lose out on Dhuhr, Asr and Maghrib. And he said to him, well, even in that case, you can pray sitting at your desk. You can pray lying down. You can pray, you know, where you are. So find a way, inshallah. Some people can't go to Jumu'ah Salat. You don't have to go to the mosque uh, if you're at, at, at work and you couldn't get there. And it's uh, the correct opinion is that it, the majority of, of, of uh, opinions of the scholars is that it is a sunnah to go to the masjid. Not a fard, that's a minority do say it's fard, but the majority say it's a sunnah. Especially if a person's at work and can't attend the Jumu'ah, then try to find two people with you who are Muslim to pray with you at your lunch break. If you can't and your job is a necessity, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows, pray your dhuhr four rakahs. I remember one brother, he said to him, I'm a paramedic. And uh, sometimes a person is, is injured, they've got trauma and they have to, they'll die if I leave them. And my Asr is going to go, my Maghrib is going to go, even my Isha is going to go. Say, so, it's okay, combine them whenever you can. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, مَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجْ Allah did not make in this deen things, He did not command you things that create hardship upon you in your life. Uh, but our brothers and sisters, there are concessions in the deen in times of necessity. But of course, it can't be a type of job or a work that this is the habit every single day. So you've got to find ways, inshallah. Uh, I remember a brother, he said to me, I have to do a job where I can't pray at all. 
I go, can you find another job? He said, yes. I said, inshallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you a better one. Subhanallah, Allah granted him something even better. But for the time being, he had to transition out. I said, for the time being, make up your salat. What can you do? As much as you can. It's called qada. For Allah says in the Quran, Fear Allah as much as you can. So Islam and deen and dunya do not have to clash. Sometimes there's a concession. Other times you can meet compatible both together. And sometimes you can get your deen over the dunya if the dunya is distracting you that much. There is a balance. And lastly, I finish with this, insha'Allah ta'ala, brothers and sisters, whether you're at home, whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, whether you're a friend, whether you're an employee, no matter what you are, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, turn it all into worship by making your intention for the sake of Allah and so long as the action is correct. Anything you do. And there was uh, lastly the Abu Darda and uh, Salman Farisi, they were brothers in Iman. Salman Farisi saw Umm Darda, his wife, once with torn clothing. Well, you know, clothing were, were not that good and she looked like she wasn't being looked after. He said, where is my brother Abu Darda? She said, he is too busy. Your brother is too busy with his career, with Allah, with his Lord. He's always in the masjid. He's always fasting. He hardly sleeps. He's praying. So it looked like his wife was being neglected. She's being neglected with intimacy. She's being neglected well, but with wealth, she's being neglected with her clothes, with her food, and even with her right to have a time with him. So she's living in a miserable state because Abu Darda is busy with his Lord. Salman Farisi went to him and said to him, go back home. He said, I want to be in the masjid. He said, no, I forbid you, get out. I command you, you're going to have to go. And he said, all right, I'm coming. He was fasting. He said, eat, break your fast. It wasn't Ramadan. He broke his fast. That night he wanted to stay up and pray. He said, go to sleep. He went and complained to the Prophet Sallallahu says, my, my brother Salman Farisi didn't let me pray, he didn't let me fast, and he didn't let me stay in the masjid. He said, what does Salman say? He says, Salman says, your wife has a right, your Lord has a right, and yourself has a right. Give each one its balanced right. And then Rasul Sallallahu said, Sadaqa Salman, Sadaqa Salman, Sadaqa Salman. As Salman has spoken the truth, spoken the truth, spoken the truth. So my dear brothers and sisters, even moving an obstacle off the road becomes a sadaqah, becomes a charity. And, I've, and this last beautiful one, especially for the young people, they like this. And for the ones who are married, you can renew and ignite your romance, insha'Allah, through this beautiful hadith. Uh, they, uh, they said, Ya Rasulullah, the rich people have beaten us. They've got lots of money, they give it in sadaqah. They've got lots of resources, they use it in goodness. And they pray and they fast, they're going to go to Jannah before us. And we're poor, we've got no money. What can we do to beat them? We can't even give what they give. He said, oof, there are so many resources in life you can still use. When you say subhanAllah, when you say alhamdulillah, when you make dua, when you move an obstacle off the road, when you sweep something off so people don't get harmed, when you feed, yani I'm just adding, yani, feeding a dog, feeding a cat, looking after, all these are sadaqah. He said, even your intimacy with your own spouse in bed is an act of goodness. I'm not going to say the word sadaqah. Everyone thinks, because sadaqah is literally translated as charity. <laughs> Even being with your spouse is a charity. Some people will say, come on, man. Who's giving a charity here? Brothers and sisters, just listen. Stay with me. Stay with me. The point is, <laughs> what I'm trying to say here is, sadaqah does not only mean charity. Sadaqah means acts of goodness. So giving from yourself, receiving, giving, receiving, exchanging the love, exchanging the intimacy. He says, even your intimacy with your spouse is an act of goodness that Allah rewards you for. They say, Ya Rasulullah, they got shy. Enjoying ourselves in our temptation and our lusts and desires, we get rewarded for it? He said, yes. Because what if you used your intimacy in haram? 
would you not get sins? They said, yes. He said, the fact that you prevented it from haram and went for the halal, you get rewarded for it. So, my brothers and sisters, I hope, insha'Allah, that we have kind of given an overview of balancing deen and dunya, insha'Allah. I know you may have a lot of questions and a lot of things that come up. I thought I'll open this as an introduction. If you do have questions, please pass them on to Bilal. Where's Bilal? Bilal uh, or Jamal or anybody? Ramadan over there, mashallah. Ramadan? Come on, because, because you've got such a big beard, it, that's why I pointed to you. Everybody will see you. <laughs> Habib Albi, may Allah bless your beard, Habib Ramadan. If you want to give the questions to one of the brothers, inshallah, next week we'll come back and ask and answer your questions. Alright, Jazakumullah khair, hada wa sallallahu ala bina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Is it salat? Aisha? No? Then why are you all looking at your watches? You got me, got me nervous. Everybody's like this, looking up there. It's not time for salat yet? What time? How much of time have we got? Five minutes? Okay, you're fortunate. Because I have to leave after Salat, brothers I have an appointment. I can't sit and ask, answer questions, although I love to. I have to do it next week. Um, but if you have five minutes, you may ask any questions to clarify. Tfaddalu. And may Allah assist me in answering you. Yes. What if you're doing what? Dishes? Dishes, yes. A beautiful example. <laughs> I understand, I understand. I knew this question will come up, so brothers and sisters, you've got to read between the lines when I'm talking, so it doesn't matter. So brother is saying, what if you've got the Qur'an running in the background and you're just doing work by yourself and you're quiet listening? Of course. And that is a beautiful thing. Uh, if you notice, the examples I gave was, we're getting busy talking and talking over the Qur'an. Uh, we're getting busy uh, with noises over the Qur'an and it becomes just like a sound. So that's what uh, is not right. But if you're just gardening, doing your work alone and whatever, working at your computer, you're doing the dishes, Rasul he also helped in the house, he swept the floor, he did all this, he played with the children. And the Qur'an is on while you're not overriding the Qur'an, then that's fine inshaAllah. Of course, and that's a beautiful thing. You can go to sleep with the Qur'an on so long as we are not doing laghu. Laghu means to, re to read over the Qur'an, to talk over, over the Qur'an. We can't even recite Qur'an over the Qur'an. Uh, even when we're praying, you know how some brothers, they sit, stand next to you? Have you ever seen the uncles? You know the uncles when they stand next to you? They're like this. It drives you crazy. So Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi he said... Uh, not to raise your voices over the others. So he said, just be silent. He said, you are not calling upon someone who is far away and you're not calling upon someone who is deaf. He can hear you and he is close. All right. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, that's okay, brother. Brother is asking, what if you're listening to the Qur'an, but you don't understand that? And that's true. I've got non-Arabs, even Arabs, well, they don't even listen. But the non-Arabs who don't understand, obviously it's a challenge for them. Merely putting the Qur'an on to listen to it, Allah's words, is virtuous by itself. Please, brothers and sisters, don't misunderstand me. Playing the Qur'an is completely fine. It's beautiful. 
It's excellent. It has its effect on your heart, even if you don't understand its meanings. Look at the non-Muslims on when they do a reaction on YouTube to the Quran. Have you seen it? They cry. What I was saying is, don't put the Quran on when there is a distraction over it. When there is going to be a noise from you, the people who are listening to it in your circle, over the Quran. That's all we're saying. Otherwise, switch off the Quran. We do this all the time in our house. The Quran is on, everybody's talking. The TV's on, the mother's talking, telling her kids go and do this. The father comes in, what's going on? The kids are fighting. People are in their games, noises of music coming up from the Minecraft and Roblox, and I don't know what. And the Quran is on. No, that's not allowed, my brothers and sisters. You should not do that. Okay, I hope, inshallah, that clarifies it. Mm. Last question. Kangaroo crane. Oh yeah, oh, the big ones. Yeah, so yeah. they're called they kangaroo come. cranes. So brothers asking a very very uh, rare situation that I don't think anyone here is going to be in. Maybe you, someone who's in a high-rise crane. <laughs> okay, what a, a person is in a high-rise crane right up there. And Salat time comes. What does he do? He prays in the crane. Inside. Faces the Qibla. And prays in the crane. Easy. I thought you were going to ask me, what if a person scuba diving? <laughs> I've got a good... What if a person scuba diving? How does he pray? Prays in the water. What if he's floating halfway? Prays halfway. Easy. What if a person is completely paralyzed? Lying down and blind. And deaf. And can't talk. Can only imagine. Imagines. So do you see, that's actually a good question, I don't mean to be sarcastic. It's a good question. Because I want to show you how deen, Allah finds a way for you in every way. He did not make the religion hard on you. What if, what if one brother comes and goes, one brother said to me, I have a urinary problem. I have a urinary problem. Najasa, I come to pray, urine comes out, I can't stop it. What do I do? Say, make wudu for every salah and pray even if the urine comes out. Another brother said to me, I have passing wind problem. Seriously, it's, got, it's a disease. What do I do? I say, make wudu, pray even if you pass wind. I don't know about the people next to him, but we, we have to be patient with each other, brothers and sisters. <laughs> All right, Jazakumullah khair. Uh, Naam. Even if the najasa comes on your clothes, and this, yeah, this is called salas bowl, so it's a disease, it's a disease, it is a sickness, and it happened at the time of the Prophet where a person has urinary problems, and they're praying, they have to do their five daily salat, and it just comes inconsistent, there's inconsistency, and uh, it may go on their clothes, they remain praying. Because praying your salah takes precedent to that. But if there is najasa, there's impurities on your clothing, and you don't have a problem, and then you realize there's najasa on your clothing, if you are able to remove that piece of clothing while you're praying, continue your salah, then do it. But if, if it's difficult to remove it, or your awrah is going to show, then you need to stop your salah, go, remove it, and come back. 
Rasulullah was once praying and he took his shoes off in salat and placed them on his left. Then all the sahabas took their shoes off and placed it on their left. When the Prophet looked at them, he said, why did you do that? He said, we saw you do that, so we did the same, Ya Rasulullah. He said, no, Jibreel came to me to inform me that there was a najasa, impurities under the soles of my shoes. So I took them off while in salat and placed them on my left. And he said, if this happens to you and you are in jama'ah, take your shoes off while in salat and place them between your feet so as not to place him near the other person and continue your salat. You understand? May Allah reward you. And we'll finish on this note. May Allah bless you, my brothers and sisters.